Hi everyone and welcome to Hit the Apex this week. It's the Chinese Grand Prix Review Edition and it's a big one indeed. We had another crazy race of course over the weekend, uh, third round of the championship. We'll also be wrapping up all the news for you as well at broke over last week and of course a bit of a discussion about Mercedes AMG and where they are at the moment um, having not won a race um, also for the first three races of course and um, joining me as always I'm Juad. Uh we got Baden here always um, yeah another crazy race you could say and in Daniel Ricciardo's words B doesn't seem to win races that are boring oh absolutely you could say after Melbourne with proven again to the skeptics that formula one certainly isn't on the the way down and uh, we thought we were going to get a conventional mercedes ferrari run to the checkered flag but fate intervened again and who would have thought after saturday with uh, daniel ricardo there that he would have emerged on the top step on sunday well there you go he robbed the victory you could say from his rivals and yeah as you say from saturday it was not possible that he would be able to go on to win the race you know for potentially missing out on qualifying with that turbo blowout you could say that he had in practice the final practice session of the weekend to winning the race on Sunday it's just a, a great story for the weekend and for Daniel Ricciardo as well sixth Grand Prix win for him in his career um, all six of his wins you could say have come you know he's basically stolen them from uh, the guys out at the front so you know he, he's a guy that time and time again he continues to prove that given the car he has the ability to get it done and yeah you know it wasn't just um as simple as handing the victory to him he had to work for it of course he had the fresher tires as we'll discuss shortly but you know he pulled off some spectacular overtakes as well and he's got that respect for his rivals that he doesn't end up doing what his teammate does and uh, running people off the track and you can see how much this one really meant to him he was quite dejected after Bahrain another engine failure in that instance and even Australia he had a setback after that grid penalty and uh, of course in the longer term he's got his own uh, future on the the line so this one really has put him uh, firmly into that hottest uh, property on the market if not Lewis Hamilton in fact who's had his own issues we'll touch on later but for Ricardo, he did look quite emotional on the podium. Yeah you very rarely see him emotional in that sense he's always got the big smile on his face and very jovial indeed but Let's get more into the race anyway, so I guess despite all the craziness that occurred later on, it ultimately started quite processional, you could say, Sebastian Vettel from pole position leading away from the lights, um, and then everything sort of went awry during the safety car intervention, so there was some friendly fire between the Toro Rosso drivers at the hairpin, uh, causing a bit of debris to get scattered across the track, and uh, Pierre Gasly unfortunately at fault there after his heroic drive in Bahrain, it was a bit of an anonymous weekend for he and Toro Rosso in China, um, and then, yeah, his teammate Brendan Hartley didn't even end up finishing the race, of course. So uh, from hero to zero, you could say, for those guys. But um, what was the key thing which turned the race on its head is when that safety car came out, Red Bull were best in position to make a second pit stop. Now, as we saw with the way that the race unfolded, a one-stop strategy would have worked. Um, Red Bull had to pit again because they started on the ultra softs, switched to the softs, and then threw on another set of soft tyres um, in that second or in that third stint sorry and what that had given them is fresh tyres without losing track position behind the safety car so they were the only team that was best placed to do that uh, they double stacked the second time they double stacked during the race and they came out 
in the same positions behind the Ferrari and Mercedes. And then you could say that, uh, yeah, Max Verstappen, he was leading Daniel Ricciardo, went on, tried to go on a bit of a rampage, but ended up in the runoff with Lewis Hamilton. This allowed Dan to get ahead. And then Dan went on the rampage himself with the overtaking and found himself behind Bottas, who was leading at the time. Sebastian Vettel obviously was leading the race until um, the first round of stops where Mercedes, you got to say, um, they played it correctly. They pulled off the undercut and um, leaving Ferrari a bit red-faced, you could say. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a very impressive in-lap from Vettel and, of course, the pit stop as well that they had that first time wasn't that great and that's why he lost the lead. Yeah, it was Bottas and Mercedes to lose after that superior undercut and a really lightning outlap for Bottas. A Ferrari perhaps a little conservative after the calamity of Bahrain for, for Kimi Raikkonen and, and he's a pit member there with that broken leg so you could say they might have been a little cautious but the the net result was Bottas looked like he was going to be quite comfortable both running the same compound after those stops to, to run to the flag so Again, just like Melbourne with uh, Lewis Hamilton, the the virtual safety car in that instance, this time the uh, the physical presence of a safety car, it's it's really cost Mercedes a, a victory and uh, the Finn can feel quite hard done by and there was really nothing he could do ultimately when Daniel Ricciardo went on that rampage on the soft compound. He was he was a sitting duck as much as he made it difficult for him into that turn, turn five, wasn't it, when uh, Ricciardo affected that uh, quite sublime overtake? Well, yeah, because... Um if there wasn't a safety car and there wasn't, you know, that opportunity for Red Bull to make that stop without losing much ground, you could have said that Bottas, in hindsight, would have won the race because Sebastian Vettel at that point, um, his tyres were as equally as gone as Bottas's. He couldn't find a way past. And, of course, um, we'll touch on it anyway with uh, Kimi Raikkonen about how they used him again to try and benefit Vettel as far as getting that position back from Bottas, but um, it didn't really work out for them in that case. And with those fading tyres, um, Vettel then just started to drop a few positions. He became uh, in the crosshairs for Max Verstappen, of course, who's just recovering after his little off with Lewis Hamilton. Um, and then, yeah, Max again butchering the move, you could say, at the hairpin and um, running into Seb. Seb left in a spin, you could say, had to drop down to seventh, and of course, and Max was hit with a 10-second penalty. Um, I guess you could say Vettel after that was very... He wasn't as grumpy as we would expect him to be, he, he very vocal. Spect, you could say, really. Yeah. It wasn't, uh, wasn't irrational at all. Yeah, well, his words basically said it on the radio. It's like, I don't think I need to say anything with the actions speaking for themselves. But um, yeah, so Max ended up finishing fifth, you could say, with that 10-second penalty. He was dropped from fourth to, to fifth with Lewis being promoted there. But... Yeah, Seb's race just going bad from worst, you could say. Fernando Alonso trying a bit of a feisty move on him at turn two uh, on the penultimate lap of the race, I think, and relegating Seb to P8, you could say. And, you know, Seb wasn't too happy about that because he ended up having to go onto the grass to try and um, not go off altogether. So uh, Alonso ended up cheekily getting that place off him. But, um, yeah, going back to Kimi Raikkonen, the race ended up actually coming back to Kimi and he finished on the podium uh, ultimately in third, but he was left out to dry again, and, you know, are we going to see this every race? Uh, it's a rhetorical question. We probably will be, unless Sebastian Metal retires from the race and isn't in contention, but Kimi being left out to dry, he he left he was left out to act as a wall to stop Bottas after those guys had pitted um, for, Seb to, for Seb to catch up, and then 
basically that late stop that he had in the end benefited him because he was on fresher tyres like the Red Bull guys and ended up coming back to uh, finish on the podium. Well, the, the irony there is he probably could have stopped again just as the Red Bulls had and made that switch to the softs. He would have lost very little in the uh, the long run there and he could have had that real uh, charge as Ricardo went on. Probably could have had P2 at the least and who knows if the Ferrari had the pace there to... To sustain a run with with Ricardo, but uh, for Raikkonen, I guess it's kind of ironic considering the way he was again sacrificed. That he's the one who, who bought home the biscuits for Ferrari. Well, uh, Vettel, through no fault of his own, he ended up having a, a race to forget. Well, yeah, I guess you could say it was no fault of his own, but. You've got to question these tactics from Ferrari that, you know, um, the fact that they made the mistake as far as um, Vettel's strategy was concerned, you know, why must uh, Raikkonen then pay for their mistakes on on the pit wall, basically? So um, this is where, you know, you've got to doubt that Ferrari will win the Constructors' Championship this year. They should be targeting one-twos and not just the... Mercedes hasn't won a single race, yet they lead the Constructors. Well, they lead the Constructors because both their drivers actually get to finish in close proximity of each other now. But we had both drivers on the podium, of course, in Bahrain. Oh, no, sorry, in Australia because... um, you know, they didn't really hang Kimi out to dry much there. But, you know, every race they do that, they risk uh, maximising the results. You want them finishing one-twos. And this is what Mercedes have done so well over the last few years is that they've been able to, along with a strong car, which Ferrari do have this year, uh, they've been able to win races one and two. So what that shows is just, um, I guess, weaknesses on the strategy front from them. And, you know, if that's what costs them another title this year, then, you know, no matter how good a car they have, they've got to look at what decisions are being made on the pit wall. And as you said before, Mercedes this year have made a few sketchy calls. They had it right there in China with Bottas and got him out ahead. But then ultimately it was uh, intervention, as you say, um, that cost him the win that afternoon. But um, yeah, you know, at the front, it was a three-way genuine battle between the top three teams for the win and um, had the Red Bull coming in and surprising us. We really thought it would be a Ferrari three-from-three Sebastian Vettel hat-trick of wins in 2018. But, yeah, great win for Ricardo. You've got to say for Red Bull, it affirms that view that Sundays are far more competitive than Saturdays. And uh, the talk from Renault, again, it could be bluster, but they're probably in a delicate position uh, with the future again on the line for what Red Bull will be using for, for power in 2019. So they'll, they'll be pleased with this one there to, to show what it's capable of when they're not having these reliability issues. And uh, bulletproof that Red Bull on the soft compound on Sunday, it could have been arguably a 1-2 had Verstappen not again come a cropper. Well, that's the thing. Max would have felt more... Uh, aggrieved with his own performance because the fact that he was in a position to win the race and uh, people have gone out and said that perhaps this is where he might actually be better off learning his lesson because in the future if he's in positions to be winning multiple races and if moves like that is what costs him then uh, it's going to really force him to change his approach and uh, I like the comparisons being drawn also to a young Sebastian Vettel with Max Verstappen the fact that we look back to 2010 or whatever the the crash kid as he was called and turkey what happened with his teammate mark weber and you know even though he was quick he had that raw speed he just wasn't consistent he would be a bit aggressive and look to make moves that were not possible but 
you know, Vettel, we saw what became of him as far as his uh, racecraft was concerned. And then to ex- an extent as well, Lewis Hamilton in 2011, every other race, it was he largely and Felipe Massa coming to blows, but we saw what Hamilton's gone on to subsequently. So it happens to the best of them, and they've just got to realise sooner than later what their limitations are and just uh, round themselves out. And Daniel Ricciardo is a perfect template for, for how to go about it. He might not be the outright quickest driver on the grid, but he puts himself in the exact right position at the, the right moment. Yeah, when it comes to racecraft, he's very much like Fernando Alonso. You could say just gets the job done and just whatever way he needs to do it um as long as it's within the confines of the the regulations and we saw actually i was during the race i was saying when i saw bottas and ricardo together i thought this is this reminds me of austin a couple of years ago when those guys were just battling in the first sector together through that um twisty section or whatever and they just they were just giving each other just enough space, you know. There was maximum respect there, but, you know, it was close wheel-to-wheel racing, and we don't really see that at the top of the field, unfortunately, because, you know, you guys, you got guys like Verstappen running into everyone, and then even when Hamilton and Rosberg were fighting each other, it was only one time we saw that, which was in Bahrain 2014, and then every other time they got close to each other, they'd basically take each other out, so... The fact that you've got someone like Ricardo there who can race like that, you know, surely he's got to be picked up by, you know, Mercedes or Ferrari for next season. I'm sorry, like, if Red Bull can't give him the machinery to win uh, championships, then, yeah, you know, Ferrari or Mercedes have got to say, well, we want you in our car. Mercedes more so than Ferrari, and I'll touch on that a bit later anyway when we talk about that. But um, moving it on, let's have a look at how everyone else finished. I mean, it was so exciting at the front that you almost forget that there we had a midfield battle going on as well, and we had double points again for Renault with Nico Hulkenberg sixth and Carlos Sainz in ninth. Um, we touched on Alonso, of course, finishing ahead of Vettel in uh, seventh, and then. Uh, Kevin Magnussen getting that last championship point in 10th. and More spite between the Haas drivers. More spite, you could say. More uh, mongrel coming out of Magnussen, of course, who was left frustrated by uh, Roman Grosjean early in the race. Um, Grosjean wasn't too happy either, the fact that, you know, he's basically been made oh, the... Oh, come uh, on, it's lap six. <laughs> he's basically been made, uh, what do you call it, the little uh, pin or the dartboard for Magnussen or whatever. But credit to Magnussen, he's racing really well this season and... And um, that Huskar just in his hands seems really strong whilst we still see Grosjean having issues. So, you know, does it get to the point where you say it's the driver, not the car sort of thing? Because Magnussen, yeah, that's two races consecutively in the points. And you could have argued that Melbourne, they would have had points as well. well they would have had more than a few points at Melbourne. Yeah, <laughs> so, so, you know, Magnussen doing the, the work there and Grosjean ended up finishing well outside the points. So, you know, you could see who the dominant driver in that team is yeah i think for magnuson really starting to assert himself there and grosjean will be feeling the pressure he's another driver with his future on the the line he had those designs probably a year or so ago when he joined haas to be next in the queue perhaps for a ferrari berth and now it could even be kevin magnuson who's sneakily uh, looking to get himself back into that contention and he's getting his elbows out and starting to display a real uh, almost a uh, persona in the mold of Kimi Raikkonen and it's quite quite cold quite collected and he knows what he's after well, and I think uh, when 
Haas gets it together and there, there's no issues, I guess, with breaks or whatnot, then they're, they're legitimately going to be touching for a top five result. Well, yeah, he's not afraid to be the, the bad boy, of course. And we saw last year with his comments to Nico Hulkenberg after the Hungarian Grand Prix, it was that uh, he wasn't afraid to mince his words and whatnot. So, or he doesn't really care whether he's liked by his uh, peers and whatnot. So, I guess he. I mean, you use the word aloof a lot. Um, I guess you need one of those in whatever sport you've got just to have that sort of enigma character around. So Magnussen doing a good job, but ultimately letting his uh, racing do the talking, which is the important thing. Yeah, I think at this point for Haas, they're really looking to consolidate um, the first two seasons. And for Grosjean, he might have to get a little bit more ruthless himself and, and dare we say, channel a little bit of that aggression from 2012. Well, the thing is, Grosjean is a driver who's capable, we've seen, to to do that. He's been on the podium so many times, of course, um, and he's a quick driver. So it's not like he would have lost that form. It's probably in there somewhere. So if he can uh, start firing as well, then Haas will generally genuinely be that um, top of the midfield team that we've all been talking about in the preseason. So, you know, fourth in the championship could be a target um, if Grosjean starts firing. At least they don't have someone like Esteban Gutierrez who was just never going to score a point in his life. He'd finish 11th like 20 times a year but would never get that point. As I keep referring, Haas only had one car in 2016. Basically, yeah, that was like a Formula 2 car they were running with the Gutierrez in there. Anyway, moving it on, and despite Force India coming out and saying that they've made a bit of development progress, so I guess they were still not finishing, they still didn't finish in the points this weekend, uh, along with Stoffel Van Dorn, of course, so again, McLaren not having a great qualifying, but Alonso getting himself into the points, um, just a terrible start for Grosjean, uh, sorry, for Van Dorn to begin with, um, you could say that, yeah, he ended up not finishing in the points along with Esteban Ocon and Sergio Perez. Williams, again, having an anonymous weekend. Uh, again, Stroll finishing ahead of Sorotkin in the race, but Sorotkin still um, pretty quick in qualifying, you could say. So, you know, when a team like that is not going to be fighting for the points, it's really no point watching them at all, is it? I mean, yeah, we could compare the two guys and say, oh, you know, what's the teammate battles like? But they're just nowhere. I think uh, for Williams, it's really getting to that point for them. Uh, Again, with the talk coming out overnight uh, regarding 2021 and beyond, their own futures probably... um, going to be contingent on that outcome and it's a sad sight to see but they reap what they sow when it comes to um, the reputation taking on uh, really uh, what what are pay drivers in Stroll and Sorotkin there if that's what they're relying on to move ahead then you've got to wonder if it's even worthwhile in this guys it's far removed from the one of uh, yesteryear and uh, 20 years ago really the last time that Williams was a legitimate force taking out all of those titles and um, you just don't know what the, the next step will be for them. They've got uh, Paddy Lowe on board there and he's got his uh, pedigree from the time at McLaren and, and Mercedes but they just seem rudderless uh, for the time being. You can't see where they're going to make any progress anytime soon. Yeah, there's no clear um, future it seems and I touched on it last week when I, when I took it uh, to pen and paper for the subject and, you know, They've come out and said, yeah, you know, they can replace Martini next year um, with another title sponsor. That's not going to be a problem. But, you know, with the comments that you've made about them not knowing uh, what 
the future beyond 2021 is going to look like. If they get the budget caps in place, that it'll perhaps convince them to stay. But if not, you know, they feel like they're not going to be competitive competitive enough and have to close the doors, which would be a real shame. Of course, for a team like Williams, who've endured so much, you could say. But it just, I don't know. It's I reckon they've got to put probably put the team on the market, you know. Um, keep it as a family team, of course, but you look at getting some outside help from somewhere, from someone who knows um, racing, you know. And, yeah, until then, and getting a bit of cash in the team that will actually produce results, they're not going to do anything. They're just going to, yeah, as you say, be rudderless as far as uh, where they go in the future. Yeah, just making up the numbers at this point. Yeah, more so than Sauber, you could say, because even though they didn't finish in the points uh, this weekend either, um, you can see progress coming their way, and of course, and uh, again, Marcus Ericsson outdriving Charles Leclerc there. So, you know, all the hype was around Leclerc at the start of the season, pre-season, that he would... Uh, hands down beat Ericsson, but you know, Ericsson after the points he scored in Bahrain, a lot of confidence to be drawn from that, and um, could be a tight battle between the two this year, even though Leclerc, of course, is a rookie, um, it's Ericsson's chance to prove himself that he is no slouch. Yeah, for Leclerc, I think uh, it was always going to be difficult in that car to expect too much, but he's He's clearly being found out for where he's at, and we can't hold that against him. And by his second season, you'd be almost certain that he's not going to be in a Ferrari in 12 <laughs> months' time. But uh, I think just, just taking the conservative approach for him, by, say, 2020, he'll be a, a really rounded driver. Yeah, you know, just making those slow steps towards the front, of course, and that's what we'd like to see. You know, they talk a lot about... <coughs> <coughs> Sorry. Um... It's talked about often, actually, how he is basically a carbon copy of uh, Jules Bianchi and whatnot. And, of course, before his um, tragic uh, death and whatnot, there was the talk that after two years at Marussia, he would go to Sauber for a year and then would ultimately go on to get that Ferrari drive. So you probably think that, you know, Leclerc, like, he could spend a couple of years at Sauber there, getting better with the team, of course, who will become more competitive. And then eventually, you know, 2020, 2021 might end up in that, uh, the scarlet red prancing horse. So, you know, it's not going to happen overnight, but, you know, he's a driver to look out for the future if all things go well. And I guess for Ericsson, we can't think of him uh, as an afterthought there. He's got a lot to prove, that talk of Giovinazzi coming in, but Ericsson, he looks like he's up to his game, so it won't be as though he's just going to take advantage of Leclerc's struggles. He'll want to really show that, that he can be a leading man. Yeah, just assert himself wherever he can. So, yeah, great race again over the weekend, and at least we got a, a week off this week. You know, we had the back-to-back, of course, between Bahrain and China. We'll be in Baku next time. But before we conclude, I mean, it's it's already a given. You probably already know who both of our drives of the day is going to be, but we'll say it anyway. Ricardo, hands down. Oh, yeah, second that one. He, uh, uh, who would have thought? Even, um, I guess, P, P6 is where he was after that stop that he... <laughs> that he made for the the soft tyres. You wouldn't have thought he was capable of the the victory and uh, he really just uh, cut a major pathway between him and all the carnage that went on around him and uh, just that turnaround, you'd almost say... uh 
driver slash team of the day slash weekend, Red Bull, just um, the 360 from where they were 24 hours earlier. They were really on the clock. It was marginal for Ricardo to make it through to that Q1 and just to bank a lap in and the rest was history. Yeah, and then made it to Q3, of course, and qualified uh, sixth ultimately and, yeah, going on for the win. And it's it's great because he's not won a race starting... Uh, he, all his wins have come from starting outside the top four. So, you know, it just goes to show you that this guy can race, uh, as we say all the time, and can make up those positions when necessary. Yeah, I think there's something ingrained in him. He almost uh, thrives in the adversity. So it will be intriguing when Red Bull finally has a, a car there where he can put it on pole. And we saw that as close as he's ever come to that kind of effort was Monaco 2016 when the, the pit stop uh, butchered his prospects but I think that um, really if he gets himself in a Ferrari or a Mercedes then he's going to be right in that title equation. Yeah definitely but anyway let's move it on uh, go over the digest for this week as well um, before we get into our talk about Mercedes in more detail and um, we had the FIA come out the other evening and propose their rule changes for 2019 and you know there was that talk a few weeks ago about trying to simplify the front wings and make overtaking a lot more possible in 2019 but instead uh some of the rule changes we can expect for next year is the introduction of biometric gloves uh for the drivers it's more so a health related thing to the fact that they can monitor a driver's medical uh health during the uh during the races and of course in 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 uh incidents as well when they've had a nasty accidents check their vitals and all that sort of stuff so nice little technology that they're going to implement from next year for that and hopefully we get liberty might take advantage of that and maybe put up some stats live stats during the um the race coverage as we see with other sports like your footballs and your cricket where they've got those monitors tracking heart rates and um, beats per minute and all that sort of stuff so that'll be an interesting thing q2024 gets a bit invasive and we know what they're thinking what they're mood is every little uh, nuance of a driver it'll be like some black mirror dystopia well if fernando alonso well if fernando alonso is still in the position he is he would be uh picturing himself getting whipped (laughs) is more desirable than driving an f1 car and daniel ricardo i mean i don't want to go into detail what he would be thinking but it's it's not g-rated you could say anyway so that's one of the few things that are coming in there's also going to be an increase um on the fuel flow as well so from 105 kilos of fuel during the races they can have 110 now so that'll allow teams to be able to race at maximum engine mode for a lot longer as well make it a lot faster and of course separating the driver weight from the minimum weight requirement of the car so you know a lot of drivers because of their proportions you could say they're disadvantaged because um because they are just genuinely too big and whatnot so nico hulkenberg and then mark weber in his time was pretty tall as well you could say and then having to basically trim down to the size of a you know a twig to get into these cars so separating that will be good for them as well and then of course that overtaking thing is still on the agenda which they're going to discuss uh, more over the coming weeks i think it's the 30th of april is the the deadline for implementing those changes for 2019 but They talked a bit about 2021 too and the FIA sort of have agreed to what Liberty proposed uh, the other week in Bahrain and they do want that V6 power unit hybrid of course with the turbo and then without the MGUH so they're sort of on the same ball as far as that's concerned. 
Yeah, and that talk as well about letting the drivers be more on the the limit all of the time. How that's going to be at odds though with the way the engine conservation's going to last for such an amount of X number of races to how many we'll have on the calendar by 2021. It's going to be interesting to see how efficient that that power unit front will be in a couple of years. Well, if they keep it to three power units a season, then that's going to be. Um yeah, it's not really going to work out across 21 races. And you, of course, were saying that after qualifying with Ricardo, that there's going to be a lot of concern for penalties coming up as well because that's two engines he's already gone through or something. Yeah, you think by maybe Canada he's going to be on to that final engine and suddenly uh, it's going to be inevitable that in the first half of the season he'll be taking a drop uh, sooner than later. Yeah, so it's going to play a big role in this year's championship, of course, and... Mercedes and Ferrari, no, you could say um, they're not immune to that either. So we'll see what happens there. Um, going on with the theme of Ricardo, it's all to do with Ricardo this week. Um, Red Bull, they need to win more races t- for Ricardo to con- to convince Ricardo to stay on, and he's just hoping, I guess, that this isn't a one-off. Uh, China, the result that happened there, and he wants to be able to win more races to be convinced that they're actually making progress and he could stay on next year you know it goes back to what everyone's been saying about you know he shouldn't isolate Red Bull um, from the contract negotiations it's very much an option for him to stay there of course but you've got to think you know with Verstappen there um, with I guess the Red Bull seniors favoring him in the future if he gets his act together does Ricardo have the chance to win a championship? We really don't want him to turn into the next Mark Webber, being the second driver, of course, to the the superstar kid. So, yeah, it's it's a big call this year, what's going to happen with Ricardo. And what you said, he's easily the hot property, even more so than Lewis Hamilton on the market. Yeah, if Ricardo hasn't convinced Red Bull Senior um, on the wall there, um, Horner, especially Helmut Marco and that he can be their leading man um, in the spite of Max Verstappen continuing to, to show that he he's not quite there yet, then he never will. So he's really got to account for that uh, as far as the future. As much as um, they've given him that opportunity back in 2014, uh, we'll know where he stands. And I think between Mercedes and Ferrari, the, the carrot's certainly there for going to Maranello, but he'll see very keenly what's happened with Kimi Raikkonen, and that will be, if anything, a deterrent. So I think that uh, all things considered, if Mercedes do put an offer to him, that'd be the one to to go for. Well, yeah, it's just going to come down to what the uh, availability is like, and you'd think at Mercedes there'd be a lot more freedom than Ferrari, of course. Ferrari, you know, controlled by Sebastian Vettel, and... Um, I don't think that they would want to change where the power is at at the moment in that team, finally finding some balance, you could say. So if they're going to put their eggs into the Vettel basket, then it's not going to be likely that Ricardo would be able to win championships in that car until Vettel moves on. But um, moving it on, and this was some big news that uh, came yesterday, of course, with the Supercars Championship, and we've got Ford coming back. How exciting is that? And they're not uh, just coming back like that they're bringing the Ford Mustang as well next year to race in the championship so as well as bringing the Mustang they're actually going to be involved again they're going to invest in the two I guess you could say factory Ford teams at the moment on the grid DJR Team Penske and and Tickford of course it's going to be a three or four way uh, collaborative effort to get this car on the grid and to continue developing it whilst you know we know that the Commodore ZB is just 
built all exclusively by Triple Eight. So it's good to see, you know, after it's been a question on everyone's mind what's going to replace the Ford Falcon once it's uh, gone past its use by date, which it has in supercars. And will it be the Mustang? Will Ford invest a bit of money again? And they've come back with guns, all guns blazing. They're ready to do it all over again. And we've got two manufacturers committed to the championship now. Yeah, the ball was in their court after. Holden, I guess, had a touted V6, which was uh, due to come online from uh, really as a wildcard presence later this season, but full-time in 2019. But they've now uh, indefinitely postponed that, continuing with the V8. Nevertheless, they've got the the updated Commodore Opel chassis there. So that's at least a, a step forward. So Ford, it was uh, incumbent on them to, to also see to the future. And this is really the statement of intent that it has a vision and it'll be intriguing to see now if Holden does respond, maybe not immediately, but 2020, 2021 with the uh, equivalent to the Mustang in the Camaro. Yeah, if they bring the Camaro over here, which um, uh, GM does plan to on a on a sales level, but for Ford, it's huge because um, they've also brought over Ford Performance, which is the uh, US uh, tuning arm of Ford, and Ford Performance, of course, manages all their GT racing programs as well with the the Le Mans GT program that they're running at the moment, of course, which is quite successful, as we know. So it is it is no half-hearted effort there. It's a full-blown effort that they've uh, done, and it's good to see that um, supercars are still on their radar, and it's going to buoy all those uh, Ford teams for next year because this year it's looking very difficult for them to to go on for the championship. I mean, I know, I know it's still early days, and we've got Phillip Island on this weekend, but um, seven of the eight races have been won by Holden Cars and the ZB Commodore, and I think there's four different teams that have won a race so far for the uh, Holden flag. So, yeah, it's going to be a tough one for Ford. And a good point of... Uh Solidarity for Ford will be in uh, the NASCAR Monster Cup. They'll also be switching from the Fusions to Mustangs. So even though you'll have the technical changes under the hood, you'll be able to see a, a good reference point, particularly from uh, the the Penske camp. They'll be able to have some parallels, run maybe some di- diagnostics where there are those similarities and send it across to Australia. Yes, uh even though one can actually turn a corner and oh, the others can't. That, that notwithstanding, you'd, you'd hope there are some parallels to be to be drawn. Well, at least we know that they're going to be running the same V8 engine under the hood um, this year, or next year, sorry, the ones that they're currently running in the Falcons. So, yeah, so it looks like supercars will remain a V8 category for the meantime, as you said, because they shelved the V6 project. But don't rule it out. I reckon, as I wrote about it last week, I reckon now that we've got some stability as far as manufacturer support is concerned, we could in the future see the idea of different powertrains come into mind. And, you know, Zach Brown, when he was here with Walkinshaw at the Australian Grand Prix, suggested they should perhaps look at hybrid in the future and hybrid perhaps probably might be more relevant to the road cars that they're trying to sell and uh, Ford it, they did say that they had investigated using that V6 EcoBoost uh, turbo engine that they've got in their GT race car and yeah you may laugh at it Never being mind an, the fossils who refuse to get with the times you may yeah well you may laugh at it being called EcoBoost but that's the engine that powers the GT Le Mans Le Mans car at the moment and that's that one Le Mans in its first year out not outright but in class um 2016 I think it was when they made their return for that 50th anniversary so um 
yeah, smaller engines, you know, they, they, they're they just as powerful. So I guess it's just the, the fossils, you could say, in this country who don't seem to want to move on with the times and say, keep saying that the category's dead because it's not V8s anymore. I'm sure evolution is key to where this category goes in the future it's it's all about what's happening on track and if we're getting competitive racing you know they could be racing toyota priuses for all i care actually i do don't want to see them in priuses but <laughs> you get you, you get you get you get the point i'm trying to make yeah it's transitional times but we shouldn't be afraid of the future just as formula one you could say that from certain perspectives suffering maybe a, an existential identity crisis there in the long run um, it's going to be in a good place and just really future-proofed yeah exactly so let's quickly wrap things up anyway with the digest so we got danny pedrosa who uh, had undergone a shoulder operation a couple of weeks ago uh he's going to race in austin which is pretty brave of him we've got the austin grand prix on this weekend as well so he just constantly just gets injured but then does this uh, bonkers things where he comes back very quickly. So we'll see how he goes, how he manages it that weekend, this weekend. And more news um, on the health front. And Rubens Barrichello came out this week and said that uh, that health scare that he had a couple of months ago was in fact a, a tumour on, on his neck. And it was uh, a benign tumour that um, was life-threatening as well. You said something like there was a 14% chance of a survival with that operation that he had so yeah we hope that he's doing well now anyway Rubens he's uh, still kicking he's still racing in Brazilian stock cars but uh, yeah quite uh, scary that one yeah, he's down to at least seven lives at my last count, unless there's been any other brushes with death when you include uh, Imola in 1994 and uh, perhaps he's uh, his daily answers with Ferrari perhaps he used up some of his lives there under the wrath of Jean Todd and Co but um you can see it's just glad to see he's on the mend and he's still got a lot to give to the motorsport community. Yeah, exactly. Uh, racing in Brazilian stock cars. And I think his uh, his sons are getting into it as well now, which is good to see. So keep the Barrichello name in motorsport for some time to come. So let's uh, start this discussion then about Mercedes AMG. Now, I've left the title really vague. Uh it's not a case of their reign being over, you could say, but that's the question that's being asked by a lot of people. And you yourself use the words that, uh, you know, it's questionable what's going on, but it's not really, don't call it a crisis. And um, yeah, let's get into it. So they burst out of the blocks in Melbourne with a, you know, a, an advantage that was more than half a second in qualifying the party mode or whatever. But then, you know, since then, we haven't really seen them in that dominant position. You know, they lost the race because of that uh, capitalization on the safety car from Ferrari in Melbourne. Then in Bahrain in China, they just didn't have the pace, even though Bottas had a shot of victory in both races, you could say, um, just not having that mongrel in him to get the move done in uh, Bahrain. But then in uh, China, just unfortunate with what happened with the Red Bulls and them being on the superior tyre. So, where do we begin, you know, I mean, yeah, Mercedes have done everything they can in the past few years, they've achieved so much greatness, is it time for them to just keel over, or do you think they'll be able to dig themselves out of where they are? Well, the season's only a seventh of the way completed, so I think, uh, really, to, to be in that standing we mentioned earlier, still heading the constructors, it's really folly there to, to write them off so soon, and it's more so... Lewis Hamilton at this point, who's going through one of his cold patches. Valtteri Bottas, uh, 
bit more desperation would have won at Bahrain and a bit more luck at China. He would have won there as well. And then we know what happened at Melbourne. So they, they really could have won every race to date. And it's just a little one percenters again uh, conspiring against them. So I think that uh, the next couple, Azerbaijan, then back to Europe, Spain, Monaco, etc. That's when we can get some real definitive answers. But as far as Saturdays go, it seems at least for now that Ferrari's unlocked that uh, one lap pace and we could see just how um, I guess perplexed Mercedes was just to, to see their their absolute dominance that's the first time can you believe it since the start of the hybrid era that they've conceded poles at consecutive events that too but also the fact that they stand having not won a race at all uh, in three races and that's not happened I think since t- before 2013 where um Mercedes hadn't won in three consecutive races, so it's it's a big thing to talk about. And then, of course, coming into the Chinese Grand Prix weekend, we said how it is the definitive Mercedes circuit, and they've had such domination there even before the hybrid era. We saw twenty twelve Nico Rosberg won there, and then pole positions every year since then. So. The fact that even in qualifying, they weren't able to score pole position, and it wasn't to do with the conditions either. It was perfect conditions for Mercedes to come out and take pole. The fact they were unable to do that, it's really telling that Ferrari do have that car now to get that one lap pace, and on a circuit that normally Mercedes dominates too. So that's where there's going to be a lot of question marks, you could say, about you know who's going to take pole position every weekend. Get up. You could argue that on the Sunday it was more Ferrari's strategic blemishes which handed Bottas that initiative, but on the other side of the equation, Mercedes were were spot on to do that undercut and clearly it was only thwarted by the the safety car there. So it's very much um, marginal at this point to to say whether it's uh, coming from Ferrari just having its act together or Mercedes just being a little bit... uh, off the game so uh, again the next two or three races is when this can turn into that notion of it being a a crisis well you did say as well that um lewis hamilton this is where he's probably at his best you could say he could make a comeback as early as baku because of all the pressure that he's under and let's face it he's not been in the best of moods you could say from the start of the season in melbourne when uh we saw him it was pretty grumpy the media was saying that he's just been grumpy all weekend and that sort of continued on to Bahrain and to China he's just doesn't have that positive mindset as well and this is supposed to be a landmark year you could say two drivers fighting for five world championships which has never been done before and um, the fact that Vettel he's sort of changed his mindset this year as well we saw that with the way he spoke about Verstappen after the Chinese Grand Prix rather than just coming out and unloading into him he was a bit more what was the word that you used a bit circumspect about it so the fact that yeah it's it's a difference between mindsets and then Hamilton this year just doesn't seem to have it but again you know could he come out in Baku and just smash the competition party mode you turn the party mode back on and yeah he's got a half second advantage and in the race he cruises away to victory so it's an interesting one to see but Mercedes themselves as far as talking about the car I mean this has been widely talked about the fact that they've got such a low operating window at the moment with their tyres as well and you know whilst this wasn't a problem for them 2014, 15, 16 but since last year since Ferrari have 
gotten closer. We had the change of regulations and the change of tyres as well. It seems like they've gone back to where they were before the hybrid era as far as you maximising their tyres is concerned. And I don't know whether they need to change their approach when it comes to testing because testing, they came out, they did hundreds and hundreds of laps just on the medium tyres. Perhaps they should start focusing on those other compounds because it's on them that we see them struggle you could say yeah perhaps a little complacency creeping in there thinking that it would just be a naturally uh, bulletproof relationship with the softer compounds and they're being found out especially i guess the warmer conditions maybe at a at a melbourne bahrain of course as a twilight race and then china it was interesting weather over the the weekend but come sunday it was sunny skies and um, of course no chance against the the fresher soft compounds for the red bulls but um they've just got to finesse it and really um i guess uh, be a bit more thorough across the board we see ferrari there they there are a lot more across all those compounds and even Red Bull through testing and clearly they're being able to exploit that come the the race day. Yeah, so whether they can develop themselves out of this and be a lot more consistent with their tyres is a question to be seen. Like on the medium tyres, there's no doubt that they're they're really strong and we saw that with uh, Bottas on Sunday in China, the fact that he was yeah he was able to hold off Sebastian Vettel until the safety car. But um, yeah, you know when we're in races where you know we don't have those medium tyres on hand, are they going to struggle with the pace and are they going to be able to look after them as well as say Ferrari does or even Red Bull? That's going to be the key question. Yeah, I think it's really just watch this space. Um, it's as much as it's refreshing. You want to see Mercedes in that fight and we thought we were going to have that straight run to the flag with Vettel and Bottas on Sunday so um, sooner or later it's it's got to happen but uh, another another two or three races if they haven't got one on the board that's when we can really start putting the, the serious questions to them. Yeah so I mean as you say we're only a seventh of the way through the season so we'll just have to wait and see how this one pans out and Mercedes they've achieved so much in the sport over the last five years and the fact that they've been able to win across two sets of regulations um, speaks in itself so um, it's only a matter of time before they were going to be deposed if it ends up happening this year so uh, we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, it's just refreshing for Ferrari. They've got to capitalise. They can't afford to, to rest on their own laurels there. And as we've seen with Red Bull, they they can be quite fortuitous with the circumstances. But if they make it work, uh, the competition there isn't standing still. So it, it could be a very uh, legitimate three-way battle if the reliability issues on Red Bull's end is um, sorted. And who knows, into 2019 where where they lie but it's quite mouth-watering to see that mercedes for the first time they're mortal <laughs> yeah we like seeing uh, a team's weaknesses every now and again anyway let's uh, move it on now um our sports moments of the sporting moments of the week i guess um first one anyway not really something on field but it's what happened off field that um uh has caused a bit of delight you could say amongst uh, fans across the Australia and that was to do with cricket and we finally had some good news with cricket to talk about after what happened with uh, the ball tampering and all that so this was the new broadcast deal the new landmark broadcast deal you could say uh, for television coverage and rights in Australia ending that era of channel 9 that's been around for just 
decades and decades or whatever. So we're switching over next season to um, Fox Sports or Channel 7 for free-to-air coverage for, for cricket here in Australia. And yeah, I guess both of us were pretty excited about this when it all actually finally happened. I don't know if excited is the right word, more a bit of a trepidation there. We always know that Seven is ubiquitous with its, um, I guess you could say, bombastic nature. They've certainly got some uh, some ebullient commentary um, talent there, and if that is translated to the, the cricket scene, it's uh, quite a quite an intriguing thought just how that will translate yeah i mean less yeah yeah less on bruce McAvaney, but um more so for taylor and brian taylor basil and co but more so about the significance of this and the fact that you know um just the whole relationship between nine and cricket australia sort of breaking down and it almost uh, well it it hurt channel 10's uh chances of getting the rights of course as well we know that they were going after it despite not really having their pockets lined with that much cash after what happened last year with the takeover from cbs or whatever but um uh, what it does is shake things up because for the first time we're not going to have uh, limited overs cricket on free-to-air television either, which a lot of people are upset about. But at the same time, finding the home on Fox Sports. Um, Fox Sports has every sport basically in Australia on its network now, which is going to be, for those who've got the pay TV service, it's going to be great because it almost, the price you pay for it, it almost continues to justify itself that, oh, we're paying... 50 bucks a month or whatever and now we've got all these sports there you know it's it's almost worth it in a way and from a selfish standpoint for the complete uh, package you've seen the treatment uh, fox has brought to supercars and as well formula one taking that direct simulcast from sky afl's comprehensive nrl uh, you name it and now they've got a really um centerpiece event to carry its um its summer complement when they were probably lacking in that department for quite a few years since they had the the bbl about five years ago but now they've they've got the lot and i think that they're gonna spare no expense i'll have wall-to-wall coverage that dedicated channel so um for those who are lucky enough to to be able to access it even even forty dollars a month it is if you stream and talk of fox sports launching an, an actual dedicated sports streaming package where you won't have to go through all the <laughs> yeah. um, starter packs so it could be twenty to thirty dollars so that that is getting a lot more reasonable closer to the lines of a, of a netflix not maybe not quite that generous but you can see that you're not going to have to pay through the nose and um for what you get compared to what we've dealt with with the especially the commercial factor and some insufferable uh maybe ex-players there who um maybe, back in mind the most talented behind the microphone you can see that they're going to go out after the best talent back in my day we wouldn't have this situation as a uh Ian Chappell would say all the time. So, yeah, it's genuinely exciting. And I guess with all the news that broke about uh, South Africa and the ball tampering and whatnot, I guess it was always going to be tough going into this summer of cricket with in th- with much enthusiasm, knowing that we wouldn't have one of our best players uh, and best captains, you could say, before that all happened, leading the side. And I guess the whole public a bit indifferent to cricket at the moment with that. But, you know, I guess with the new broadcast deal, fresh faces perhaps for the commentary, if they don't end up getting the Channel 9 mob back together, it could be, it could be what we all look forward to um, summertime, just having a refreshed outlook on the cricket. 
Yeah, well, that adage that the change is as good as a holiday and maybe in the future Channel 9 will again get its hands on the cricket but just like AFL at the, the turn of the century Channel 7 lost the rights and came back probably with a more in, enhanced mindset from 2007 perhaps this is what cricket did need in Australia and the, obviously with Fox Sports will give it that, that coverage especially on the, the women's side and domestic front they'll get increased exposure so that, that's <coughs> got to be taken as a positive Well it, it's also interesting too because that comes into effect as uh, this year, and of course, this year's the last, or oh, well, for next year, sorry, is the last year that uh, the tennis will be on Channel 7 too. But the fact is, tennis and cricket will be on the same channel, uh, free to air channel in Australia f- that time because it'll go over to nine in for the summer of uh, 2020. So um, that's a that's a big big coup, I guess, to have both those summer sports on their network. How are they going to uh, sort of? Um, Oh, well, it's because they're not having... uh, It all makes sense now. That's why they don't have uh, limited overs cricket on there. But they'll have Big Bash. They'll have the majority of the Big Bash on Channel 7 as well, which will be great. It keeps that free-to-air coverage of it on there, the popular primetime show that it is, I guess, for most people over the summer. So it'll be great to see. Yeah, I guess next year that's one for them to figure out the... The scheduling arrangements and maybe an idea of getting a secondary channel there to also stream um, HD if they can find the bandwidth there just as SBS does with its secondary channel since that's what people are after. HD is a staple but for, for one year only they'll make it work and then summer after that channel 9 um, they'll be uh, sated I guess by having the, the tennis rights come online and indeed they do have the uh, the rights to the 2019 World Cup and the Ashes in the UK plus 2020 the the T20 World Cup which will be held here in Australia so it's not a complete departure from cricket for them just yet yeah exactly so we'll see how that all pans out um more moments of the week I guess um in IndyCar land, uh, Alexander Rossi taking a dominant victory in uh, at Long Beach over Will Power. And all the talk is that he's favourite to take out the title this year, even though they're three rounds into the championship. But that would be great, wouldn't it? Because I think back to the comments that Gunter Steiner made at the start of the year about there being no American drivers right for F1. Alexander Rossi was that guy until... He ended up without a seat because Manor had to leave the sport and then ended up going to IndyCar. He won the Indy 500, a, a little event that they have over there. And now he's become a genuine IndyCar front runner with Andretti Autosport. I say Haas, Grosjean, goodbye, get Alexander Rossi in there Yeah, now. if he wins the title this year in IndyCar, ends up in F1 next year with the Haas team. That would be great to see. But yeah, strong win for him there, um, which was good to see. And, you know, if he ends up winning the title, that'd be... Uh, a kick in the face, I guess, to F1 for letting a talent like that go, but also great for great for him as well for his career, having already achieved that Indy 500 win. And coupled with IndyCar having a bit of a revival, there was talk that um, the attendance was as great as it's been since the late 90s for that Long Beach race. So you can see that it's really finally knowing uh, its vision for the future and I uh, think within maybe five years, it'll, it'll again have that uh, reputation commensurate to Formula One and all the other global motoring categories. Well, I'd love to, uh, if that's 
the caliber of the event. I'd love to go to that one because they've got the IMSA Championship there as well with the uh, the prototypes and the GT cars and that their roster of drivers as well is uh, they're no slouches. So it's great to see that they've got um, you know such a such a huge undercard there. You know IMSA of course the endurance racing category there in the US or whatever. So having that as your undercard that's pretty serious stuff. So um, yeah, it's probably one of those events that one day you know on the bucket list you'll end up having to tick off but uh, anyway let's bring it back to Australia and of course you would have been happy with the results of your pies over the weekend as well yeah at least on on this side again we, we won't mention the uh, the cowboy in the corner of the room we no. could say that that season's almost uh, ticked out now as a, as a write-off on life on, support you could <laughs> on say the, on the AFL side yeah Collingwood breathing life into its campaign after beating Carlton the week before they had a road trip to Adelaide and uh, stunned a lot of people the most polished performance I would say in probably three or four seasons and they just looked uh, really silky um, moving forward with the ball and uh, Anzac Day coming up next week that's another huge one and if they won that suddenly I think a lot of people will be will be um, scratching their heads wondering why they were so quick to dismiss them about uh, three weeks ago. Well, yeah, you could say with the Dons especially being Essendon still being a bit inconsistent, you could say hot and cold each week and whatnot. So if they've got the momentum around them, you know, clearly it could be if they can string together more wins, that'll be pretty good for them. But yeah, winning on, you know, the runners-up, of course, from last year, Adelaide, their home turf, it's a, it's a pretty strong win for you guys. And yeah, it wasn't... Uh, wasn't uh, anything inconsistent about it at all. And I'd say as well for yeah Melbourne Storm, they, they got a much-required victory over Newcastle, so that was good to see. Yeah, in the NRL land, whilst, uh, you know, let's not talk about the Cowboys, probably will. But good that they've re-signed their coach for another few years as well. I think that was one thing that they had to lock away. Paul Green is such a great coach, and I'm sure they'll be able to dig themselves out of the hole that they're in at the moment with the form. And also a quick shout out before we uh, depart for the week, a shout out to my mate Dion on Sunday, he claimed the Canberra Marathon, that was a huge uh, effort for him there and uh, he's feeling the the pinch now I think, but it was all worthwhile, you could see it's always a great moment to, to take out one especially on the road and also for the Commonwealth Games we had... Uh, Michael Shelley took out uh, gold for the men's and in the women's we had two women, Lisa Waitman and Jessica Trengove, second and third there. So that was a great achievement for them amongst all the other... Australians, they had a great time across the the ten days or so at the Commonwealth Games. Sort of just uh, didn't even take notice of it. It was just like, oh, we've won all these medals all of a sudden, and it's like, how come at the Olympics we never do this good? It's just, you know, perhaps we're not all on drugs like everyone else who well, compete in the Olympics. Well, we don't have the behemoth of America and co to, to deal with there. Well, the money that they throw into it is just because infinite. they're all because they're all on drugs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it's part of it, I guess. Yeah, it we is, won't go it, there. It's, it's all to do with that sticky wicket but anyway before we wrap things up um we had some sad news of course this morning um regarding legendary commentator uh, australian commentator daryl eastlake who passed away at the age of 75 and um i guess for yourself having uh started watching f1 at the time when um channel 9 had the broadcast rights and whatnot he with alan jones you would have fond memories of those two doing the coverage for formula one back then but of course you know quite popular for State of Origin, the Olympics, um, IndyCar, MotoGP. So he's got a long roster, there's uh, East Lake, and yeah, he's going to be missed in Australia for his uh, services. Yeah, some fond memories from my formative 
years viewing F1, the late 90s, early 2000s with Channel 9 there alongside Alan Jones. Clearly, he was quite a larger-than-life character going back before both of our times when he was um, infamous for his calling of the, the weightlifting and all of those Olympics and Commonwealth Games, his catch cries, and you, you could see that he was really just very passionate about his sport and just that that sad demise, I guess, in recent years for for him. And uh, I guess he's at peace now, so that's the, the silver lining he can take away. Yeah, struggling there with um, his health over the last few years. So, um, yeah, really sad news this morning for that. But anyway, we'll uh, wrap things up for you this week. It's been a long one, you could say. And um, nice to have a bit of a break, you could say. Three races into the championship, and we'll be back next week with our preview for Baku. We've got supercars on this weekend, at least, uh, at Phillip Island and the MotoGP as well. We'd love to... To talk a bit about that next time so thanks for joining us this week as always and uh see you guys next time till then